This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the Real EFL podcast, the podcast dedicated solely to teams in the English Football League. We had our FA Cup special at the weekend where Matt and the gang reviewed all the shocks and surprises that the magical competition threw our way, which you all seem to enjoy thus far. However, today we have a very, very special episode with a reporter who shares a love of the EFL as much as we do and has all the latest news from the biggest stories to share with us across the Championship, League One and League Two. We're very lucky to be joined today by The Athletic's wonderful EFL writer, Nancy Frost. And Nancy, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, just recovering from uh, a bit of a bonkers weekend of games. So yeah, all good. How did you enjoy the games of the weekend then? Yeah, well, there's plenty going on. I was at Rotherham QPR, um, which probably was one of the the less exciting games of the weekend. But um, yeah, some interesting scorelines in the Championship and then some of those FA Cup games. I mean... Yeah, not not so good news for EFL teams because they've been upset by uh, non-league, but it always makes it exciting. Chesterfield and Portsmouth, it's unbelievable. Knocking yeah, the, the, yeah. the unbeaten. Now, I know I say unbeaten, they're unbeaten the league because they did lose in the League Cup as well, but they're out of the FA Cup as well in the fourth round. Uh, Portsmouth, even though they're, I don't want to call them runaway league leaders because there's only a couple of points in it between them and Oxford United, but Oxford United may... Um, May have some news coming up soon, which we'll get on to. But you did mention QPR there, and I think that's actually a really good place to start. I believe you wrote a piece that went out today in The Athletic about QPR and Marty Cifuentes. You were at the game. You said, how, how, how did they play under their, under their new man? Uh, I think you could definitely see some some progress. Obviously, he's only had, a, I think it's four days, something like that, actually on the training ground mm. with them. Um, but you could see they were trying to play it out from the back, um, getting it down a lot more. And... By the sounds of it, obviously QPR fans will have watched a lot more of them under Gareth Ainsworth than I than I managed, but um, it does sound like already a bit of a, a shift and an, an improvement. The fans are certainly happy with it um, that had travelled to Rotherham. They were singing his name. Um, every time they kind of got a chance or worked a good opportunity, they were singing. And um, it seems like it's lifted them as a fan base just because you know, he he was very clear in his interview that he gave with the club website after he was appointed to say that 
he wants to get it down and play like he's very much um from the Johan Cruyff Institute kind of you know he grew up with that Barcelona team and and he's all about that kind of um yeah passing style but mm. with purpose I think is the key thing that he said which is which is good to hear because it's not just sort of ticky tacker for the sake of it. So, yeah, I think there's plenty of room for improvement. There was a definite sign that there, there could be something building there. Well, I can probably speak on 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 his Hammerby side myself. I did a little work for someone who I can't name about 18 months ago. And when I watched his Hammerby side, I was blown away really because the thing, the difference I suppose with coming to England is they played on, on Astro pitches over there, which means it's going to be slightly different to adjust that style of play to Loftus Road and to, to yeah. you know, pitches in England in general, especially during the winter period when he comes over. But, the, you know, but I, I just want to ask you about Gareth Ainswood then. It, it it seemed to me maybe like a good move when it happened last year when he, when he took the reins at Loftus Road, but things quickly went wrong this season. They had a lot of injuries at the start of the season as well and, and, I know I think they got they lost something like 4 0 on the opening day and it wasn't looking great. And then a report came out saying that he had say I think it was Darren Wickoop reported that he had three games to save his job. It was the West Brom game, the Leicester game, and then the Rotherham United game. And then after the Leicester game, QPR made the decision to get rid of them. Well, I mean, why do you think they decided to cut ties with Ainsworth early? Because I think the, the 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 club made it. I suppose reports are coming out saying the club back him. There was it wasn't just Darren Wickfield. There was a number of other reporters saying that the club do back Gareth Ainsworth. And then after that Leicester City game against a team who are kind of walking away with the title, then they decided to pull the trigger. Why do you think that was? It's funny. I, I wonder if, to a degree, a lot of teams reach a certain point in the season, and it probably is the October international break. And if they see someone else has sacked someone, mm-hmm. like it does set off that kind of little chain of bunkers, sackings and yeah. everyone moving around. And I'm sure we'll get onto it later, like various people move from one club to another club within the same division or whatever. Um, and I wonder if they just looked at it and thought, having hopefully learned something from last season, flying start under Michael Beale, obviously not their fault at all that he kind of got poached by Rangers in Scotland. And then it really didn't work out with Neil Critchley. Um, so I wonder if they've, just thought and it it almost feels like kind of not the last chance saloon for them but if this one isn't right they're already uh six points drift I think Rotherham are five points drift Sheffield Wednesday uh a couple more than that I think so the the gap already feels quite big especially compared to last season um which probably says something about the quality of teams in the division but yeah I I don't know if it's just a case of also fans will definitely let you know when they're unhappy Mm. and and QPR fans are justifiably very you know unhappy with both I think the style and the the results so um yeah I wonder if it is a, a bit of a case of looking around the league and thinking oh they're not hired internally from within the championship but it's just thinking right okay if they've done it and they've done it and you know it's getting to the crunch point there were a number of candidates linked with the job why did they land on Chief Fuentes in your opinion then because I mean as you said managers do tend to I mean you already see Gary Rowett getting linked to every single job that pops up in the EFL there's a number of managers that swap teams basically the same thing happens in Italy but then out of the blue I think it was the Telegraph maybe dropped a report and they said that Cifuentes was being linked to the job and I think okay that's a strange one that's out there I, I quite enjoyed it and then within a matter of either an hour hours or, or the next day 
QPR announced he was the next manager. And I think, wow, that kind of came out of nowhere. Why Cifuentes then? Why not some other candidates? And and who were who else was linked with, with the job? I think it's it's a really intriguing appointment, actually. It's really interesting. Um the only worry is whether it's a difficult time. But actually, mm. if you look at his record, um, I think it's in his last four jobs he's joined mid-season and he's improved the team every time in in the yeah. course of that season. Um, he was at um, a couple of teams in the, the third tier in Spain. He kept one of them up uh, from quite a difficult position, including financially. Mm-hmm. It was quite a challenging scenario. But I think if you look at like QPR's recent appointments, you've got Ainsworth, Critchley, Beale, I think, was was a, a quite a smart choice. Um, Warburton, I'm trying to think if I've missed anyone in between. But I suppose maybe it's just like changing up the way they do things. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, you have to be exotic and look mm-hmm. abroad. But, you know, they're a club that clearly will have ambitions of returning to the Premier League. They've just opened the new training ground, which is really exciting for them because I know it's it's been a sort of a point of frustration for a long time to have not had a facility that's quite at the standards of a you know recent Premier League club should have. Um, and so, yeah, I wonder if it's just a case of them just trying something a bit out of the box, mm. you know, thinking outside the box, trying something new. Um, and when you look at his record, like you, you can't really fault it so far. You got um, Hammerby to the Europa Conference League. Yeah. Not, they got knocked out, but it was, I think it was, was it, was it Hearts that knocked them out? I feel like it was maybe Hearts. It could have been, yeah. Oh, no, sorry. It was it was uh, FC Twente in Holland. Sorry, apologies. That's, or the Netherlands, sorry. That's my bad. It was. But they still, I still got to the, you know, the qualifiers of it, which that was really impressive for a side like Hammerby who were, I would say not one of the big kind of sides in Sweden, although maybe some yeah. Swedish people will start giving out to me now. Yeah, <laughs> but it's definitely a gamble. I think I'm right in saying that like Neil Warnock was linked. He's obviously going to always be linked with anyone. I think Neil Warnock was the favourite, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of inevitable when a team changes manager <laughs> in, the, in the bottom half and he's around, you know, he's available. Um, but it really would have been the easy choice. Mm. It would have been the... Okay, well, we've done what everyone else does, and you might have got them out of it. You never know. But um, I kind of respect them more for going for a slightly yeah. left field appointment because I think, well, you know, if they go down, yeah, it will probably be really gutting and annoying for fans because they don't believe they're a League mm-hmm. One club at all. Um, but, you know, that you could rebuild something quite exciting. And sometimes that can be the little rejig that you, you yeah. need for a club, but hopefully it'll get them out of it before it comes to that stage. I really I, I really do wish him the best. As I said, I think he's a really good coach and I just hope he has enough time to turn things around. I think it will be a little difficult, especially with the, the turnaround in between games in England. But I do wish him all the best. But we'll move on now to a team, or to a club at least, that, you know, usually when it, when it, when it, when a side sacks a manager, it's, as we said, because Gareth Ainsworth, for example, was, was, was struggling with QPR to get results. They were in the relegation fight. But there's one team up the top end of the table who I'm sure you were, well, not anymore. They were up the top end of the table. I'm sure you're probably sick of talking about now, Nancy, but I have to ask about John Eustace sacking at Birmingham City and the decision to appoint Wayne Rooney. Now, you've probably been asked every question under the sun about the situation, but was the decision unanimous in in the Birmingham City boardroom or were there some, not hostility, but were there some some members of the board that, that felt you know, Eustace was probably the right man to bring the club forward. I think from from my understanding of it, since the takeover happened, 
there's probably always been that underlying suggestion that they wanted a name. And regardless of how good a job John Eustace has done there, obviously internationally, he's not got the presence that Wayne Rooney has. Um, And so it, it probably, I think we first started hearing about this, you know, in the summer almost that not that it would guaranteed was guaranteed to be Rooney, but it was that Eustace, however well he might do, might not be kind of a big enough name for them. You see this all the time, obviously with new ownership changing managers, but there's that sort of star quality now Mm. to Birmingham with Tom Brady being kind of an investor and it's obviously only a very small percentage because it's not even it's not even enough to qualify for the EFL kind of um owners regs but um I think there was always that leaning towards wanting a name but they've got themselves I think in a in a tricky position because he started so well and I think the fans felt that he just got it um I think they got to a point where they just wanted a football club that wasn't in some sort of crisis anymore was just somewhere they could go and enjoy their football again without some sort of nonsense going on. <laughs> and the ownership had sorted that side of it and he'd given them that that also, that other half on the pitch. So to make that change, then obviously Wayne Rooney's start hasn't been stellar. Um, kind, I think they've kind of shot themselves in the foot a bit. I, you know, we'll wait and see what obviously what Wayne, Wayne Rooney does, but John Eustace's stock is very high. So, Well, I believe it was, I can't actually remember what game it was. I just remember one of my favourite headlines of the year was from The Athletic and it was a quote, I believe, from a fan in the stadium which said, F off back to America or something along the lines is what a fan shouted at Wayne Rooney after the game. Was it against Hull City? I feel like it might have been against Hull City when Birmingham City played them at home. Yeah. Yeah. The fans certainly don't seem too happy with the appointment, but how? what's the mood with the players? How, how did they react to, to Eustace getting dismissed? I think... Given how well he was going, I think it's kind of been a bit of a, what well, was a bit of a surprise, I guess. Because mm. um, all you want is, your, you know, for your manager to do what he's employed <laughs> to do, which is get results. And he was doing that. And, um, you know, I, I think it would have been a big ask for them to stay where they were at that sort of early period of the season. I think the September international break, they were top two, top three, something like that, or... It, it was, you know, it was looking pretty good. Um, I always think that would have been a bit of an ask, maybe given squad depth and stuff, but like, who knows, you know. Um, but obviously, yeah, I think for players, you know, when you've when you've had a preseason with a manager and you've had that sort of start, you would be questioning why why it's being messed with. Mm-hmm. But saying that, you know, there is there's always going to be an excitement working with working someone with someone like uh, Wayne Rooney. So. Um, players always spoke highly of him at Derby I know that for a fact so in your own opinion then do you do you feel a little a little sorry for Rooney in some ways because like ultimately he's just it's kind of not his fault is it I mean everyone <laughs> every all the fans and the the, the stuff they were shouting at him it's not really his fault he's just kind of brought in it's not his fault Eustace was sacked it's not his fault you know all the the noises happening around the club with his appointment he's probably just trying to do his job what are your thoughts on that yeah, I think I feel half sorry for him for those reasons, but also half like it's almost quite a smart move for him mm-hmm. in the same way that Derby was because, you know, Derby had kind of been a bit of a stepping stone for for Frank Lampard and, and others, but he kind of couldn't do any wrong whilst they were in that state of crisis. Yeah. Um, and so to take over Birmingham, I don't know, it's probably the first real test he's maybe getting um 
of his career because I don't think like things a bit I'd need to triple check this but like I don't think things were always perfect for him at DC United in terms of um off-field stuff I know he kind of talked about a lot of a lot of the sort of problems that he felt were present in MLS mm-hmm. but um so yeah I don't know I feel like it's the first sh- chance for him to really show what he's capable of because he hasn't got the excuse of there being any off-field nonsense yeah. really um unless the owners suddenly go mad but they, they seem to have been pretty steady and kind of doing the right thing so far um so yeah like I have some sympathy with him but I think it was talked about long enough in advance that like he will have known it was happening probably before he left DC United even though he won't have said that publicly so I kind of feel like yeah not too much sympathy because this is his time now to really show what he's yeah. about yeah and unlike at Derby County where they were actually I think the season they got relegated from the championship they would have finished if they didn't have the points deduction, something like 15 to 14. It was really good. But I think this time there's not that pressure of, oh, well, Derby are going down anyway, but look look how valiant they've become under Rooney. Now there's kind of a an expectation where fans are looking at where they were before he took over at sixth and now where they are now, which I believe is down the bottom half of the table. So it's, you know, this is probably the first real time he's faced pressure because I don't think the pressure in English football is the same as it is over in America because, you know, because there's 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 no relegation in America. That's just my own opinion, though. Of course, another team who have changed manager. Nancy, you're going to get sick of talking about managerial change by the end of this. I'm so so sorry, but Bristol City parted ways just over a week ago with Nigel Pearson following a two nil defeat to Cardiff City. the The chief executive John Lansdowne came out and said that Pearson himself would have been disappointed in the team's performances on the pitch, and he also said that. Bristol City's budget is a top 10 budget in the championship, but I thought it was an interesting quote. He might be right. I mean, I, I don't have access to Bristol City's financial records, but when did they make the decision? That I, I know they made the decision after the Cardiff City result, but do you think it was kind of coming in the pipeline for a while? I think so. And um, I kind of, he, he's been there for a good a good period of time. In two and a half years, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sort of in managerial terms, you know, three, three yeah. some of two and a half years. Um, and actually, yeah, for an owner to, like, admit, or a chairman or CEO to admit that they're, they've got, they're normally always downplaying how much budget they've got, yeah. not saying we're a top 10. And given some of the clubs that are in the championship this season with parachute payments and stuff, you know, that's, that's quite the claim. Um, and I know they've got really big ambitions of being a Premier League club. They've got, you know, the the, the stand re- was redeveloped at Ashton Gate, and um, they've got really some really impressive impressive um, academy facilities and, and training facilities. So the ambition is very much there, um, and they've produced some great young players like Alex Scott, um, among others. Um, so I think, yeah, the pressure is always going to be there in terms of have they got the best out of the squad that they've got or the yeah the the wages that they're paying um so it's an interesting change um because I think Nigel Pearson's quite a safe pair of hands but I get the impression that maybe both sides knew that it would just come into a, a natural end and um you know if, if they want to make a good fist of what's left of the season then mm-hmm. again you look around the leagues and maybe you think okay they've sacked someone they've sacked someone and they don't want another sort of mid-table just below mid-table finish again. I think there's a lot of kind of um, not unrest, but you know, feeling a bit disgruntled among fans. I suppose if if you're being told you're a Premier League club or mm-hmm. a Premier League ready club, but the results are quite far from that reality. 
Well, we just spoke about John Eustace a few minutes ago, but he was one of the names linked with the vacant Bristol City job. However, according to the Bristol Post today, oh, I think they released report, apologies, might have been yesterday or a few days ago, but today they said that the deal with Liam Manning, Oxford United's boss, Liam Manning, is being kind of finalised pretty soon. Although there is a, a release clause involved in that because he, I think he signed a two-year a two year contract back in March when he took over at the Kassam Stadium and, and there's an option to extend it by 40 years. So Bristol City will have to pay him out of his contract. What can you tell us about Liam Manning and, and the possibility or the, the what seems to be the likely possibility that he's going to be the next manager at, at Ashton Gate? Yeah, well, it sounds like that's going well, um, as in, you know, the deal's progressing and it's looking mm. pretty likely. So, um, which is weird because, you know, in my mind, sort of John Eustace to Bristol City was a move that I could very much see happening. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, look, he's a young coach, um, which, you know, immediately will make him appealing to some fans, I think, because of what he might bring. Um, he was part of the City Football Group, um, coaching over in Belgium before he moved to MK Dons. Um, and he took over... I think it was from Russell Martin there. Um, still played quite a lot of um, possession-based football, mm-hmm. but will kind of go direct when when needed. Um, and that was when they were in like that really mad playoff race, I think, not last season, the season before. The season before, one. yeah. Yeah, and they had Scott Twine and some really exciting yeah. players. And, you know, that that team was a really exciting team to watch. And, and They had Matt, o- Matt O'Reilly as well. Was that Celtic? I think yeah, they, yeah. It was yeah. an unbelievable team, yeah. So it was it was a good period. And then obviously you see again the impact he's had. Um they had a bit of a tough start and I think, you know, he was he left MK Dons there and they mm. obviously went down in the end. But then to come in at Oxford and suddenly skyrocket them to the top of the table, bearing in mind how many playoff campaigns they've had in recent years. You know, they were kind of constantly getting in the playoffs and losing, which is um probably quite a agonizing experience. Now to to be in that position, he's obviously had a great impact. Cameron Brannigan scoring all sorts of goals, um, as he tends to, kind of a lot of penalties and stuff, but you know, still um a key player for them. Um so I imagine Oxford fans are probably kicking themselves, thinking not that they were dead set, because it's still early, but to be in the position they are, um, when some of the other bigger teams like Derby or some yeah. of the others haven't like quite run away with it yet. Um yeah, they must be frustrated. But yeah, he's a manager who'll encourage encourage him to get the ball down and play, but isn't afraid to kind of switch it up. He's not, I would say, not like completely sort of wedded to one style, yeah. um, which is probably beneficial. Yeah, yeah. What do you, I mean, has Manning always been the favourite to take over Bristol City then? Or... Was because I, I think I mean like Nathan Jones was was linked to the job. There was there was Gary Rowd, of course, as well as available. I'm sure someone threw Neil Warnock's name at some point. <laughs> you know, I mean, was was Manning always the kind of the front runner in 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 Bristol City's mind, or do you think this is only sort of a a new revelation? Yeah, it was a new name um, on my radar um, in the last. Well, it seems to have happened quite quickly, actually. Yeah. I don't know, it was sort of 24, 48 hours. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like in. I was very much of the opinion that they would go for Eustace, maybe Rowett. Um, but yeah, it, I think it's kind of, I mean, it makes sense, you know, yeah. why not go for a manager that's in work that's doing really well, but comes comes with a price tag. So, um, I mean, it's worth them 
worth them paying out for it if they've got that top 10 budget and you know they can afford to uh afford to chuck a bit of money at it and see see if it gets them up well speaking of that that price tag i mean maybe you can't tell us the exact figure but is it more so because it's it's been reported as a six figure sum, so that could either be 100,000 or 999,999 (laughs) so what kind of what end of the scale are we talking I to be honest I don't know but if I was um you know if I was Oxford having hired him given his age given his sort of schooling for Mm. want of a better word in the city football group and kind of yeah, what he did manage to achieve at MK Dons, I'd have hoped they'd put it at the top end of that <laughs> <laughs> six-figure thing, six-figure um, figure. Because, like, yeah, he, he's uh, he's definitely got the potential to go a lot higher than than he has already. Yeah, and I, I hope if he does get the job, he does a, a really good job, even though I, I did ask Liam Manning before for an interview and he pied me. But it's okay, I'm not bitter about it. I hope he does really, <laughs> really well. We will, we'll move on, though, now to the situation with Sheffield Wednesday. Nancy, I know you've... You, you, speak a lot of you spoken a lot in the past about Sheffield Wednesday just in general is you know but things are kind of spiraling at the moment with the with the club I don't want to say spiraling but the comments over the last couple of days from from the owner where he basically suggested that fans should throw a couple of quid in to help pay off the you know the I think it was a two million debt there's been protests against him has has the happenings off the pitch the events off the pitch affected the players this season because it's really not been an ideal start to the season. Although I say start of the season, it's three months in, but you know, first third of the season, has it really affected the players and the coaches? Well, it already looks worrying for them, doesn't it? Given how far adrift they are. Um, I think if you'd have been at Wembley or anyone that was at Wembley in May, you'd have thought this club is at such a high, nothing could mm. go wrong. But, Again, anyone who knows Sheffield Wednesday should probably know that that, that sentence just doesn't apply to them because <laughs> it feels like there's always something lurking around the corner. Um, I really think the start to the season, it's nothing that necessarily was the fault of um, Cisco Munoz. Like he was a good coach, obviously got Watford up. Um, the players really liked him. Um, but I think just the hangover of losing Darren Moore in such a surprising way kind of a good month after, I think it was a month after, it was sort of June time. Um, So you should be drawing up transfers Mm -hmm. and getting all into that. And, you know, it was a couple of weeks off the start of pre-season. So to lose him then um, and all the fallout of that, because it just, you know, dragged on with a bit of he said, she said from, um, well, mostly from the owner side of things rather than than Darren Moore speaking out too much, but just the nature of it and the kind of accusations that were thrown around, I can't see how it hasn't affected them. Um, there's not too many players that were there from when they were relegated last time. Probably just Barry Bannon, Liam Palmer, maybe mm. Josh Windass. I'm trying to think if he was there at that point. But, you know, and during that spell, they didn't have their wages paid and there was all sorts of things um, because of holdups with the money. So if you then have the owner saying things like, I'm not putting any more money in the club, you must be worried if you've kind of had yeah. that experience previously. Um it sounds like things, although they've they've had one win now against Rotherham last week, it sounds like things have improved a bit on the pitch uh, in terms of the performances under Danny Roll. But really, I, there's just something about when Wednesday get in the championship where <laughs> they just become this circus. And, and I don't know why. Like, I don't know. Um, 
what kind of makes makes the owner kind of yeah act that way because he'd, he'd had a quieter spell when they were in league one and, yeah. and Darren Moore was very much front and center and it just made sense and things felt settled. Um, so it, it is, it is a shame that it's kind of started this way. This You're season. so right as well. I don't remember once reading anything about him when they were in league one. And then as soon as they get promoted to the championship, he's everywhere. I mean, every single week, something new comes out. I, I actually didn't even think of that. That's quite bizarre. What's what, I mean, What's he like with 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 coaches then, like with the managers? But what's the dealings with him? Because obviously, as you said, there's a bit of he said, she said about his situation with Darren Moore. Although, as you said, more on his side. But I mean, then there was there was Munoz and and Munoz kind of said in the past that they they did speak regularly, though he wouldn't reveal what was being said. What's he kind of like with the, with with the managers? I think he is quite hands on. Um, in terms of contacting them, you know, and speaking to them regularly. I remember when Darren Moore was manager, he would say like, oh, I'll, I'll ring the chairman after games or whatever mm-hmm. to to discuss it. Um, I think that's partly just his nature in that he's put a lot of money in and he wants to kind of have that contact with the coach. I think it's partly because they don't have a director of football, they don't have a chief executive. So there's not really that person in between to touch base um, in an official capacity anyway. Um but yeah, he's. I mean, he watches all the games um, from Thailand if he's not in the UK, um, and you know, you can question his way of showing it. You can question his interaction with fans. I do think he's very passionate about Sheffield Wednesday. I think he's very passionate about taking them back to the Premier League. I, you know, I don't think he's done it in the right way. Um, but yeah, I think he has that passion, and he probably portrays that passion in his conversations with managers. Um, But I think if you take the job at Wednesday, as with a lot of other clubs um, with a certain type of owner, I think you have to be good at managing up probably. Um, I imagine you you probably have to have some quite difficult conversations and it probably just gets to a point where, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's too much for some types of character, but it's a big club with a lot of expectation and that comes from above as well as from the stands. So, um, yeah, it's some people take to it like a duck to water though. So, and clearly it worked for Darren Moore for a long time and they, they had a good relationship up until a point where it, it had broken down beyond a, mm. a point of saving really. And um, what can you tell us about the current financial situation with the club now? Because I believe the transfer embargo has lifted. He confirmed that the player, that the wages were paid on time a couple of days ago. What can you say? What can you tell us now about the the issues? I suppose that Sheffield Wednesday face going forward financially. Yeah, so uh, the chairman put a statement out and said um, he he paid the HMRC bill. He paid the players. Um, I, I think he said he was waiting on some money himself. I don't know that, mm. whether that was through transfer fees or some you know some sort of money transaction in his personal business, but. Um, I suppose the club is at a point where, and this applies to so many championship clubs, but every time in the accounts it says um, that there's a a sort of a note of concern from the auditors that if the owner withdraws the funding, it's not a financially viable business because it's a loss-making business. Um, And you will find this in most championship accounts, um, probably most League One club accounts as well, unless they're run at a break-even or a profit, which most most football clubs aren't. but the problem occurs when you have him saying things like, I'm not going to put any more money in, which is, you know, where kind of red flags and um, come up or alarm bells start ringing. So um, I think 
they've cut their cloth more, you know, a lot better since um, they had all the points deductions for breaking FFP and, and everything. Um, they probably still have, you know, definitely a better than top three budget, um, which isn't, you know, isn't reflected in their current league position. Um, but yeah, they, um, they, I think they, they, you can probably say they have a good budget for the championship this season, um, but it is dependent on the owner putting that money in. And that's why, um, to a degree, they have quite high ticket prices yeah, and, yeah. and stuff because he kind of, he links it very much to that. Yeah. Do you think there's a reason why, I mean, you, you said there there's no sporting director. Do you think there's a reason, or do you, th- I, I'll phrase this better, do you think he's behind that because he more so wants to be in control or is it just, I mean, because I feel, I feel like it's quite odd for teams in the in the modern game, not to have a sporting director when you see the benefits of it at the top level and in Europe, etc. But even in the championship, do you think it's it, it's it's more of a, a power grab from him that he doesn't have a sporting director in charge, or do you think maybe nobody's mad enough to want to take that job and and and, and deal with him every day? Yeah, it's definitely not the norm across the championship to not have a CEO either. Mm. Um, he's got a COO. Um, but not a CEO um, and not a director of football. So I think part of the reason is he kind of has tried variations of it early in his time owning the club. He did have a CEO um, uh, and he did have kind of a transfer committee type thing. Um, I think he feels he's had his fingers burned a few too many times by like certain deals that he's done or Mm. the way certain things have panned out. And I suppose this is his way of being able to, sort of fully con- be in control of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and he's always said that, you know, he doesn't have a sway on transfers, but he's obviously the one signing the check. So he has the final say, which has kind of always felt a bit of a conflict, but yeah. um, I can kind of, yeah, it is kind of the way that it works elsewhere as well. Um, but yeah, I do think if you take the job at Wednesday, you are a manager not a head coach, mm. which is the kind of yeah. the distinction that is often kind of blurred nowadays because you're mostly a head coach. Yeah. Mostly there's some sort of like transfer committee or or director of football. Um but yeah, I I think it's yeah, I think it's partially um him feeling a bit stung by things in the past. Mm. Partially him probably wanting that control. Um yeah. Yeah. away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last minute winner but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. 
And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use this service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash real EFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now, back to the podcast. Well, moving on to another club that the ownership ownership situation is um, far from ideal with is... Reading. Now we have a lot of Reading supporters that listen to this podcast. I've I feel like I've covered this story every single week since I started with the Real EFL back in like I think it was June or July now. It's I mean, it's been an absolute mess to the point where I even wrote a story about Richie Sunak's comments where he compared the situation at Reading to Southampton getting relegated from the Premier League. And I just I don't know, I can't help but feel that they're two very different situations, Richie. What can you tell us about the, the the the? I wanted to ask you about William's story because he was probably he put a tweet out a couple of days ago or maybe last week saying that they had you know done their due diligence and decided to pull out of the deal. Was he ever a serious candidate? Because something that was something that was kind of thrown at him throughout the course of you know him putting out tweets about his interest and going on talks board and and doing all this stuff with Reading fans and a lot of people said that he's not serious because he made previous attempts to buy football clubs. I think actually, was it Charlie Metvin, who was the, the current co-owner of Charlton Athletic? He formerly owned Sunderland and said that they had a bit of a laugh when William Storey tried to buy Sunderland a few years ago, a bit of a giggle behind his back because they basically just felt he wasn't serious. What could you tell us about that that William Storey potential takeover? Yeah, from from what um, I understand, and I, I think some colleagues have reported on like, it was never serious, I don't think. Um, you know, I suppose anyone can take to Twitter and claim they've signed all sorts of bits of paper, but actually I don't think he'd ever proven or the, or the people he claimed to be with had ever proven they had the money for it, um, from what I understood anyway. Um, so he was, yeah, he's always in a tricky position. I think any, and this applies to any football club, who is potentially going through a takeover, if your prospective new owner is going on radio shows and talking, and, you know, I'm not, this isn't really bad-mouthing TalkSport, but if they're on TalkSport doing an interview, they're probably not the best person to take over your club, and they're probably not a legitimate buyer. Mm. Um, Because the deals that do happen, they happen usually, if they're going to happen, quickly and behind closed doors and largely quietly um so yeah anything that's too noisy uh i immediately treat with suspicion as probably not you know not actually going to happen um so yeah i don't think it was ever really a credible um Mm -hmm. option and it hadn't even got to the point of various efl tests and you know the the owners and director tests so um it sounds like there's no shortage of interest in the club uh, at the moment, they're kind of in free fall, though, which is yeah. it's complicating things. Because if you're looking at buying a club and there might be a League Two club next season instead of being one to two seasons away from the Premier League, it does change the picture of kind of how much you might be willing to put on the table. Um, and the owner there, I think, wants a particular fee that is quite a lot. <laughs> what is that um, fee? Because I, I, I believe I read it was... Around seventy to eighty million, which I, in, in the initial report I I, I read, I can't for the life of me remember what 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 news outlet it was. But West Brom's owner apparently wants fifty. 
Yeah. And I thought, if you're looking, and this was before West Brom went on a really nice run and they're now inside the playoffs even. But but if I'm someone looking to throw money at a football club, the prospect of buying West Brom seems far less stressful than buying a club who are potentially going to be in League Two next season, not a team that could be in the Premier League next season. Mm-hmm. What what is that kind of fee that he's looking for to buy the club and and why? Because I know he said that it's because he owns a, a number of assets like the stadium and the training facilities and all that. Yeah, I think that seventy to eighty million figure is close to mm-hmm. I think what what he wants. Um, I think the real appeal at Reading is especially for overseas investors. Um, and this is a theme you'll see across a lot of takeovers. If it's within a particular catchment of London, it's kind of marketable overseas. Um, they've got a decent catchment area there. I know they don't fill the, the stadium every week, but you would kind of think if they get things going in the right direction, there is the scope for them to obviously do that. Um, they've got a really good training ground. Like, cannot stress how much the training ground is a factor in people wanting the football club. Um, mm. And obviously the stadium's, you know, a good a good stadium, kind of a good championship Premier League stadium. So, yeah, I think that figure, I don't think, honestly, that that's probably a realistic figure. Again, given what you see other teams go for um, in the division. But, yeah, it just depends how long he's willing to hold out. And I think the longer, the longer it goes on, the more potential buyers will drop out and the more likely you'll just be left with Mike Ashley. <laughs> um, and that's, that'll suit him. But, like he yeah. knows what he's doing. Um, yeah. He's not stupid. So yeah. Is there, I mean, just speaking on the, about the training ground, you're right. The training ground is unbelievable. I think even Charlie Savage said that it's on par with Manchester United, which is, either a, a massive compliment to Reading or an incredible insult to Manchester United. But <laughs> is there any real serious sewers right now to buy Reading who are not desperate to buy the club, but who are really, really interested because fans only really know about William Story, who, again, mm-hmm. as I said, the jury was out, whether that was even serious or not. Is there a serious candidate or is it just kind of a, is it a game of cat and mouse right now with the owner? What, what, why is the situation currently? I think there's a number of groups that are, you know, they're interested. Mm. I don't know whether they are serious, kind of seriously close to anything, but I think you can safely say like there are, when when investors see a club like Reading kind of in the situation it's in, they will be sniffing around. Every football club is for sale. There's yeah. no football club that's not for sale. Um, so, you know, whenever people are like, oh, they've put the club up for sale, it's kind of like, well, they've been up for sale for a long time, but they're just like really saying, hello, I'm ready. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of groups that are watching it with interest and are doing their homework and are asking questions about various things. Um, and I think the fact that Mike Ashley was quite public in, like he had his helicopter parked down, <laughs> down at the stadium or whatever, like I think it's fair to obviously say that it's kind of a public statement of his interest and he likes owning football clubs doesn't he I think I know the relationship with Newcastle fans was far from good but um he was kind of close when it when Coventry were were being taken over I think and some talks with Derby as well when all that was happening so he clearly wants to own a football club again um yeah and I can sort of see that it could happen 
it could feasibly happen at Reading mm. unless unless there's another bid that match, closer matches kind of what the current owner wants for it. I did see that photo of the helicopter and it was just probably the most Mike actually Mike actually thought was ever seeing. <laughs> I kind of res- I almost respected it. But uh, you spoke about Derby County just there. You name dropped them. I I think that's a good place to to start with them. Is just naming them. Um, Paul Warren at the moment has come under serious stick because I believe they've picked up 11 out of a possible 24 points at Pride Park this season. Mm-hmm. They were our, when we, we did our predictions back in the start of our, the end of July, I think start of August, we predicted Derby, I don't think anyone predicted Derby County outside the top three. And here they are really struggling to kind of fight for the playoffs at the moment. And then yesterday, of course, they had a, they, I think they were 2-0 down at one stage against Crew Alexandra. And you know, uh, if it, it finished two two two, it will have to go to a replay. Though, what's the feeling in the club about Paul Warren? Because all of the noise of unhappiness is coming from the supporters, but there's been no real noise that that they're in. You know, there's there's no immediate need to replace him from um, from the board side. So, what is the kind of reaction behind the scenes? Yeah. So, um, my colleague. Matt Slater went and spent the day with David Klaus and Stephen Pearson. The, um, you know, both of them, Pearson Klaus said that um, they're backing him completely. You know, that they're kind of not wavering in, or at least that's what they told him, you know, that they're not wavering in, in that support of Paul Warren. And I can see why fans are unhappy. Um, and I think if you're a club of Derby size in League One, there's always going to be that impatience. But I think, you know, given when he took over, um, there were some players that were already there that he hadn't signed. Last season was kind of a free hit because mm. of, of where they started. Um, although it was always a difficult position to kind of take over from Liam Rossini because he was quite popular. And I think, yeah. you know, he was a good manager. He is a good manager. You can see that a whole. But with Paul Warren, you're always going to get a certain type of football. I think he's willing to experiment a bit more now at Derby, given that he's got more money probably it's fair to say than he ever had at Rotherham to play with but you kind of know what you're getting when you get Paul Warren mm. he, he's a straight talker um, he plays football a certain way and it's worked three times to get him out of League One so I do think the owners are probably being pragmatic in looking at that and thinking we'll give him some more time because um, you know I think David Klaus has said he's not going to chase the dream of the Premier League and spend a load of money ridiculously to ever jeopardise the future of the club again. So you've got to listen to that and think, uh, not that he won't ever sack a manager, but that he's going to be more tolerant maybe mm-hmm. in in making the right decisions at the right time and not getting too swept up in, you know, the sentiment that fans, and I can see why they're unhappy, but, you know, when it's your money that you're putting into the club, I suppose it, it will influence your judgment slightly differently. How tolerant is tolerant, though? Because I would imagine, I would imagine there is hopes that they can fight for promotion this season, not just fight for promotion, but get promotion and at least finish in a, in the top six come May. But if they don't, and it's apparent that they don't, how tolerant can can can, can yeah. an older chairman be? Yeah, well, I think I do think this is it for him. I don't, I don't, I can't see that if they don't go up this season that mm. that they will continue any longer. Um. And actually, uh, again, this this won't be popular. I live near Derby and, and I know how they're all feeling and this won't be popular <laughs> at all. But if you look at someone like Ipswich, 
um, a club like Ipswich, who were in League One longer than they wanted to be. Any season in League One is longer than any club like Wednesday, Ipswich, yeah. Pompey, Derby want to be in. Um, but, you know, sometimes you really need a hard reset, an uncomfortable reset, um, to really build something different. So, you know, if they don't go up this year, I love Paul Warren as a manager. I think he's brilliant. But it might be that they go in a different direction. They go, you know, for a a hard reset that kind of mm. puts them in better in a better situation to then take on the championship, um, which is what you've seen at Ipswich, but it's really, really hard to get that right. Um, so, yeah, it shouldn't be, I don't think it should be as hard as they're finding it this season. Um, I think League One's like relatively weak compared to last year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I am surprised at kind of how they've started and I do think it probably needs to turn quite soon. He's not got an unlimited amount of time. To do I, that, I got criticised for saying that before, and I actually I I fully agree with you. I think League One is far weaker than last season. When you look at the you know Sheffield Wednesday, and Ipswich Town, and Plymouth Argyle this season, you know respectfully, Portsmouth are doing really well, but then you've like Ox- Oxford United second in terms of squads. I think the league is much weaker. That's not to take anything away from the likes of, of Pompey and, and Oxford United, of course, but I'm just surprised that Derby could fight for promotion last season, although just miss, miss out on the playoffs, but then this season in a weakened league with, with, with new players, you know, they, they, they're they struggling. And I know David McGoldrick was probably a big loss there too. And they never really quite, rep- I think they signed like three centre forwards to replace one and none of them have come near uh, the, the goals that McGoldrick gave Derby. But anyway, it'd be interesting to see what happens with the Rams and Paul Warren, even though the fans are clearly distressed at the moment, I think it's it's fair to say. We will move on, though, to Bradford City. Nancy, when was the decision made? And I don't. when I say when, I don't mean like the, the day, because I know it was after a, a poor result there a couple of weeks back. But was Mark Hughes a second coming for a while, or was it just basically off the, the back of a poor run of form? Because I thought maybe it was a little... My own opinion was that it was a little harsh just to sack him based off. I think they had three wins in 11 games, but a manager with such Premier League pedigree who dropped down to League Two for the project and then he's dismissed after only a couple of weeks into the season. What happened with the with that situation with Mark Hughes at, at Bradford? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because obviously he came so close last season in, in getting into the playoffs. But I think by the sounds of it, the... You know, the start of the season had been that drab that I think I mean fans I think were clearly at the end of the mm-hmm. end of the tether. Um but it, it is hard to have kind of had that brush with getting out of the division and then they're in a difficult spot because again of the, the size of the club they are. But I don't really think it would be fair to put them in the same conversation as Stockport, Notts County or Wrexham in terms of maybe mm-hmm. the budget or just like the momentum that they have um so they're kind of in a tricky spot where they've got expectation but I don't know kind of if they've got that same clout as those three clubs that have come up um who are spending big money which is what I think makes League Two quite a strong division as opposed to yeah like League One not that they're not that it's not strong but I I think you've got a number of clubs in League Two that yeah, are probably yeah. easily outspending half of League One um but again, yeah, they're one of the bigger clubs. I think it's just, I don't know, it, it's a difficult scenario where um, obviously he was a name to go in there with it with his history. Um, 
and they've obviously just made an appointment today um on that so um it'll be interesting to see how it pans out but um yeah I think it I suppose it, it might have just been a hangover from last season or or something but um Andy Cook hasn't obviously been scoring as many as as last mm. season I don't think and a few other things where clearly it's just not clicked in the same way as before and they felt the need to to change it who did they want as manager initially? Because I I read reports that like Danny Cowley rejected the job, and there was he's also been linked with link a return to Lincoln City. I think Carl Robinson as well, and there was uh, there was Dean Holden. Maybe there was a couple of candidates at the start when the names were being thrown out that were that were linked with the job. Who was their ideal candidate? Um, yeah, I think it's all the, all those linked, and obviously, um, you know, they've not done too badly. Uh, under the interim manager but um, I don't I think it's fair to say I don't know if the ideal candidate was Graham Alexander because I think he's been has he been sacked since they sacked Mark Hughes so I don't know how that's come about but um, obviously he's got still got quite a good reputation like even though that didn't quite work out um, at MK Dons Um, I don't entirely know kind of what they were what they were looking for, if it was a particular thing or if it was just a change um, mm. to see if they could get something new out of out of the squad. Um, but I do find Graham Alexander like a really interesting appointment for them. Um, he's a manager who's been sacked at some very harsh times in his career. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've, I don't really... Um, I, I think it will be quite an interesting pairing to see kind of if they can start something a bit more uh not long term but just um I don't know just just a way of of getting out of league two because yeah. they are such a big club that there's the potential to be so much more there isn't there always with with a club like Bradford and what is their expectations then this season with Alexander is it to maybe make a late push for promotion or is it just to kind of see how far up the table you can get by the end of the season and then crack on next season again. I think it's got to be. Um I don't think I don't think automatic promotion. I think now we'll, now we've seen that top three stop yeah. what knots and Wrexham, I think that's it. Um mm. which is ridiculous to say so early, but I think I think if you're below that, unless you may be Mansfield, they're kind of hanging on just I think to that top three. But if you're anyone else, I think it's a discussion about sneaking into a playoff place and, and you've got the luxury of that being fourth to seventh um in uh in league two so yeah i think that's got to be it and you know things like packing out wembley and all that can can swing a lot in your in your favor yeah. in a in the playoffs so um they got their last season and if they can kind of get things clicking again i can see it being a a possibility anyway we got 50 minutes into the podcast before you you mentioned Wrexham. I thought I was going to be the one that mentioned Wrexham, but you did. <laughs> um, but I'm, uh, hopefully the 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 listeners aren't disappointed. As, as I, I said to you, Nancy, I, I vetoed any chat about Wrexham and their owners, <laughs> and I'm just absolutely sick and tired of reading and hearing about them. So I thought if we have you on, let's try not to talk about Wrexham. We'll do something different. So for the last topic of the podcast, it is Swindon Town because... He, the owner recently came out and said that he's not going to sell the club. You made a really good point earlier and you said all football clubs are for sale. And then he said, he's committed to the club. I'm not selling. However, 
and I love the I love the however it's going you know as he threw it out there. There's interested parties, basically, is what he said, mm. and it's he said something along the lines of sometimes you just entertain bids and or, or inter, entertain interest, basically, which I thought was really interesting to say. You know, I'm committed to the club, I'm not selling, but I'm willing to listen, which is kind of conflicting, kind of kind of conflicting comments a little bit. What would you say to Swindon Town fans, you know, to to reassure them that? He's not going anywhere, or that the club's not up for sale again because of the fiasco that basically happened two years ago, where it was so difficult for him to buy the club. I think it was a massive legal battle to buy it as well. Yeah, like I, I feel sorry for Swindon fans because it feels like they've been through so many takeovers in a short yeah. period of time. Like to get your head around who's currently in charge, it's like you have to do a bit of mental gymnastics. But yeah. um, to me, and I, I don't have any sort of inside knowledge on this at all but when a, when an owner makes a statement like that it sounds to me like he doesn't want to sell but he's willing to have investors come on board in a smaller like minority sort of capacity um and it's always healthy to kind of for an owner to be having those discussions to know what the club's were to know what people think about their club and stuff like that um but it is interesting yeah it is interesting language and kind of reading between the lines when when an owner comes out and says um, those sorts of things. Obviously, I think there's still, it's going to be a years long thing to kind of clean up a lot of what had happened before mm-hmm. at Swindon with some of the debts and everything. But I mean, his track record up to now has been decent. I think I'm right in saying like, yeah. you know, it feels like it's been quieter <laughs> and yeah. that's normally a sign to me that things are kind of going okay. Like if you're not hearing any, any stories yeah. about financials, boardroom stuff. So maybe this is the first major thing if I'm thinking back correctly, but um, unless I've forgotten anything, but um, based on that, I mean, hopefully you get kind of a degree of credit in the bank and, and you can kind of draw on that. But um yeah, every football club is always for sale, so <laughs> yeah. I can't I can't be too reassuring and be like they're never, you know, they're not going to get taken over in the next six weeks. Because... Well, I think yeah. Well, I think what worries <laughs> me a little bit is that like he he, you know, and I'd actually love to speak to him about this if he'd ever want to come on. If he's if he's if he's listening, there's an open invite for him to come on. But the the Swindon Town supporters group they basically said they were, you know, he's done a great job so far, but they've just been a little bit disappointed with how he handled the whole selling to to I think he sold some shares there recently or it was actually last year but it was only it only came out recently that he sold shares to two people in 2022 mm-hmm. to pay off a 2.9 million debt how he also came out though and said which I thought was interesting that the club costs far basically outweigh his expectations of what he thought the, it would cost to run the club mm. is that kind of do you think that's a worrying comment for someone to make considering I mean, like, does that kind of mean he needs to get promotion pretty soon? Because if if he's been surprised at how costly it is to run the club and then they're staying in League Two for once, or one season, two seasons, three seasons. I mean, like, do you think that was a little worrying for fans, or do you think it's there's not really a point in, in panicking at the moment? Yeah, for fans, it's a concern. I think as a a journalist, I look at it and think, oh, okay, he's not he's not alone. Because there are lots of owners who get into it thinking, oh, football's going to be really fun. And then they realise that you're literally setting fire to thousands of pounds of money a day, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just the way it is. Um, And some people are surprised at quite how fast they're, you know, flicking 50 pound notes onto the the bonfire sort of thing. Um, 
but yeah it, it will be it's always going to be worrying for fans to kind of hear that um especially if you've had if you've gone through it in recent years um but i think i think if if the kind of the language is there to suggest that outside investors are welcome it's always going to be easier to mm. sell chunks of the club if a club's in league 1 or you know if things are going well on the pitch and all that sort of stuff so yeah promotion comes with its costs as well um in terms of needing to attract a slightly yeah. more expensive group of players and everything like that but there obviously are financial benefits to going up as well in terms of the, the TV deal that you get a chunk of and, and everything else. But I think in terms of attracting investors, um, people are looking all the time, especially Americans at the moment. Um, they want kind of a little bit of a bit of a sports team and, and you have to be like a billionaire in the States to get a bit of a franchise. So it's just not feasible to a lot of kind of mid-tier millionaires yeah. or whatever. I don't know if that's the right term, but um yeah, you know those, so, you know those middle class billionaires, mil- yeah. middle class millionaires. You know, <laughs> those people that live next door to everyone. No, um, but yeah, those <laughs> next tier down. Yeah. Elite, even elite two club is, is appealing to a lot of people. Yeah. But um, yeah, Nancy, I feel like I've picked your brain enough for the evening. Thank you so so much for coming onto the podcast. I really really enjoyed it. What are your what are your what are your plans for the week? Plans for the week. I am hopefully doing a couple of interviews because it's the EFL's week of action this week. Um, so doing a few bits around that and then I'm off to Carlisle versus Bristol Rovers at the weekend Ooh. you excited for that? I am I've never been to Brunton Park before so it'll be oh, another really? one ticked off for me so I'm very much looking forward to that yeah I would I would wager a guess there'll be a red card and a Paul Simpson men- meltdown I love Paul Simpson though but it's, it's becoming quite a regular <laughs> he's such a nice man oh, he's well. lovely I've interviewed him before he's, <laughs> yeah. he's genuinely a sweetheart I love him he's such a great guy yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I get disappointed yeah I feel like my it's my 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 dad when he loses. I, I'm watching my dad's team lose. Or something. I feel really sad, but he's a great guy, very passionate. But Nancy, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. And to everyone listening at home, make sure to drop us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the podcast. And if you found Nancy as insightful as I have, it means the world to us. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share box on the go. And you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then later on, you steal in, grab the last nugget, and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.